This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. friends, welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Emily Reddington. This week, I'm interviewing Lindy Johnson of America's Kids Belong. Lindy Johnson is a licensed therapist and a trauma care trainer for America's Kids Belong. I wanted to talk to Lindy for a couple reasons. First, I wanted to be able to bring some light and education into foster care, a place where there seems to be a lot of unknowns and questions by those not involved. I wanted to talk with somebody who has a deep knowledge of the foster care world, but also has clinical skills and expertise to offer. Lindy was this person. Second, I wanted to hear more about America's Kids Belong. AKB is an organization that brings together government, faith, and business to help bridge the gaps and speak the same language so that more are served within foster care. Here at Illuminate, we hope not only to bring you happy, feel good stories, but we also hope to illuminate hidden or left behind stories. We believe that knowing the hard and dark places makes the light that much brighter. I hope you learn from and enjoy episode 17 with Lindy Johnson. Lindy, welcome to the Illuminate podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so good to be here. So could you tell us just a little bit about yourself and just about your um, qualifications and your history within um, counseling and within working with at-risk families and kids? Yeah. So my name is Lindy Johnson and my background is social work for both my bachelor's and my master's. And through my studies and my love for kids, I knew eventually I'd want to work in the world of foster care, adoptions something like that. Um, for many years, I had no clue what that might actually look like. Um, but I think just that heart of loving kids, um, and also loving family, um, and the exposure that my family allowed me to experience through some adoptions in our own family, um, through different ministries we got to support growing up, it just kind of all led me to this place where, I just kept leaning into the professional world of caring for people Mm -hmm. um, and specifically in the world of the fatherless and whatever that might look like. Um, So whether that was international um, orphan issues or, you know, local foster care and adoption and anything in between. So currently I get to do pretty, um, pretty different, but awesome sides of that. So one of my roles is doing just local uh, clinical practice through private practice and counseling. Um, So I get to do that really deep, hands-on, one-on-one work. But then I also have a role with America's Kids Belong, and my title is trauma care trainer. And what I get to do, when they hired me, we had no clue what that looked like, but it's continued to grow. And what that looks like is ultimately just bringing a trauma-informed component to whatever it is that we're doing. So whether that's our programming, whether that's some behind-the-scenes 
um, team development so that we are all practicing what we're preaching, um, whether that is just general education through our platform via social media, through just one-on-one conversations as we network nationwide, um, and everything in between. So I kind of have these like both extremes. One's really, mm-hmm. um, you know, direct one-on-one, really in the weeds. And then once more macro, right, this mm-hmm. bigger picture, we're looking at systems and we're trying to bring this lens to the table. So that's a little bit about kind of where I'm at and what I'm learning and how I get to grow day by day. Awesome. So you mentioned trauma care and is that your focus in general within your therapy practice and obviously with America's Kids Belong and what else are you interested in? Yeah. Um, so it's definitely a huge component in pretty much everything that I do. Um, again, with the focus of my, my previous experience in the workplace, it has been in one way or another in the world of foster care. So I have experienced both being the caseworker for an adoption agency, a foster agency, and some more ministry oriented components through church. And then now this national side, um, ultimately I love every level of it. And I do really believe through my experience that, we're all hurting people, right? So we all bring some kind of hurt or pain to the table, whether we're aware of that or not. And so whether it is specific trauma that I'm working on in my job, or even just, hey, if you're the client, or if you're who I get to work with, let's look at your history of pain. Mm -hmm. So I do believe that's almost always a component. And in addition to that is this component of attachment. So ultimately through the world of foster care and adoption, where I've been able to serve is helping families walk alongside families and helping them understand where the kiddos that they're serving or the teenagers that they're serving, where was attachment in the past? Where was their harm or pain through relationship? And where do we need to heal relationally? Mm -hmm. So it kind of all comes together because Mm -hmm. The more and more I work with people, the more and more I just continue to believe and see how we are all of those components. We are physical. We are spiritual. We are mental. We are emotional. We are sensory, you know, and Mm -hmm. so understanding the way all of those play a part. um, Mm -hmm. It certainly takes time, but it's really it's really cool getting to walk alongside people through that journey, both on the macro level with America's Kids Belong as we get to do that with the bigger picture. And in my work through private practice, working one-on-one. Tell us a little bit about attachment in general, like how it happens in babies and does it happen before birth and where can that, like, how does foster care affect that attachment? Yeah. So the general idea through attachment theory, and for those who have studied it many, many years before me, it's this general idea and this experience of we are hardwired to bond to someone, right? Mm -hmm. So when we are born, we are ready to bond with someone, which is ultimately a parent, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so this happens through daily interactions, through being held, being fed, and the the attachment cycle is essentially a child, an infant, if we're talking from the very beginning, an infant experiences a need, the infant expresses the need, an adult, a safe caregiver, responds, and then that infant learns they can trust. So it's this concept of building trust through that bond is 
essentially the first lesson we learn in life. Mm -hmm. So even before we have words, we're doing this dance. We're learning this thing called attachment. And nobody has to try. It just happens. So that that example of the attachment cycle, that's a healthy attachment. That's a what we hope to be a typical attachment for most children. However, when we know that kiddos have come into foster care, well, obviously there has been some kind of relational challenge, some relational pain, relational loss Mm -hmm. in whatever form that might've been. And so then we've got this hindered attachment. So ultimately we know for many of the children that we serve, whatever was happening in the home that led them to be removed, it probably wasn't healthy, right? Like Mm -hmm. it probably was not safe for them. It might not have been intentional, but it probably wasn't a safe, healthy environment for healthy attachment. And then we add the component of being removed from your home environment. So now we've kind of got like double layers, multiple layers of this hindered attachment. And so for many of the kiddos that we serve in foster care or some through adoption stories, there's, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of loss there when it comes to being able to trust and being able to bond with others based on how it looked in the past. So that's something we, we try to be really mindful of um, as we serve families through America's Kids Belong um, or through, through my private practice as well, both mm-hmm. components. Mm-hmm. So what can foster parents do or, yeah, foster parents to strengthen that attachment and in turn be able to develop that trust between a child and a parent? I mean, I'm sure it's not like a, you know, check the box type situation. Um mm-hmm. But what does that look like in in those next phases where a, a foster parent is with a child, a, a new child in their home? Big question. The first thing I would say to families who are stepping into being foster parents or to caring caring for a kiddo through foster care is that one, it will it will take time. And you think for yourself, right? Building trust takes time, mm-hmm. and that's that's how it goes, and that's okay, and that's good and normal. Um, however, with our kiddos we have extra disadvantages because of some of the harm or the loss that they have already experienced. So what I would advise and what I, I do regularly for the families that I get to serve, and it might not be what you're thinking, but I advise you as the adult to do your own work on your attachment Mm -hmm. style. So ultimately that's how I have my job in America's kids belong because Brian and I sat down, Brian's one of the founders and he said, Hey, we think this trauma component is a missing piece. We really want to be holistic in the way that we serve families and advocate for kids in care. What would be, if you had a magic wand, like what's the thing you would say to do? And I had to laugh and say like, okay, loaded question. What, what do I know? Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately the first thing that came to mind was the adults have to do their work. The adults have to be able to look at their childhood, their histories, good or bad, and really observe the things that they are bringing into parenting, into marriage, into their home, into the way that they relate to others, because that will directly impact your ability to walk alongside a child who we know has hindered attachment. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think as a parent of three, I am learning that. I mean, my kids are eight, six, and three, and I've been learning they just peel back the layers in a good yeah. way where you are forced to do your own work if you want to do well. Uh-huh. And so I can see how 
that is part of the process when you're trying to form an attachment with a child that has been through really hard things. You have to be aware of where you're at. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and if, if families, you know, they tend to walk in and they're saying, well, we have so much love to give. We can care for this child. And that is probably entirely true. And I believe that. And I would say not a, but, but, and, so I'd Mm -hmm. say yes. And I highly recommend, encourage, require, if that's my job, um, for you to also dig into your history. So yes, it's definitely a layer thing, right? It takes time. And mm-hmm. um, like you said, too, like, that doesn't mean this is pleasant. That doesn't mean this is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does take work and it takes a lot of humility and self-awareness. And um, I think what's paired with that is being able to ask for help. So mm-hmm. that might literally mean you need to ask a professional for help mm-hmm. to walk you alongside it, through it, mm-hmm. whether that's through professional counseling, through some kind of support group, maybe some kind of attachment curriculum, through reading a book and doing a book study, um, whatever that might look like that we also have to be able to ask for help. So mm-hmm. those are two things that I always recommend for families, no matter where they're at in the process, as much as possible, I try to catch them before they're in the middle of it, just to, you know, help get ahead of some things Mm -hmm. because that takes time. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're all growing and it's, and it's a journey. Mm -hmm. For sure. And so when these kids come into new families and they have difficulty attaching or parents have difficulty attaching to them, I think it probably could be both ways. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder if it's not only that attachment maybe that was broken a little bit along the way with them, but also that the trauma that they've experienced is affecting the ability to attach securely. Is that true? Mm -hmm. Or, and I guess what, what do you call trauma? Like what is the definition of trauma? Sure. Yeah. Great question. So to your first question, does the trauma also impact the hindered attachment in 100%? So As far as defining trauma, a typical um, definition of that is an actual or perceived threat of harm. So keyword that we tend to not get is that perceived threat. Mm -hmm. So what a child, you know, maybe based on their previous experience or based on just how their body responded in a situation, maybe nothing actually happened to them. But they weren't sure of that. Did they know that they weren't actually going to be harmed or abandoned or you know, whatnot. Mm -hmm. So an actual or perceived threat of harm. So with trauma, what we know is that if you are perceiving a threat or some kind of situation that might literally be life or death, the brain is wired to go to a state of fight, flight, or freeze. And recently, um, some neuroscientists have added the the fourth option, which is faint or fold. So Basically, your brain is wired to go to this very primal survival state, which in the brain, it's called the amygdala, which is a really, I mean, when you're born, it's fully formed. So it's ready to go. Mm -hmm. Other parts of the brain need more time to develop over time. But the amygdala, this fight, flight or freeze component, um, sometimes to make it make a little more sense, I call it like the alarm system of the brain or the watchdog of the brain. Mm hmm. That part is alerted if we perceive threat. So that part is scanning to know, am I going to freeze to death? Am I going to eat today? Is that person coming to harm me? Am I safe? Am I okay? And that's normal. It's supposed to do that. 
Mm-hmm. However, for the kiddos that we serve through foster care or adoption, typically that part is way overworked. So that part of the brain is meant to go off to check if you're safe and if you need to problem solve via fight, flight, or freeze, then it, it pushes you into gear. But then it eventually, it's made to be calmed back down. It is made to be relieved. But for many of our kiddos, they live in that place of the brain. And so to your earlier question about if that impacts attachment, absolutely. Because if I'm just constantly trying to see if I'm safe, if I'm going to live, if I'm going to be fed, if anyone's coming to hurt me, I'm probably going to have a hard time learning to build trust with you. Mm -hmm. So yes is the short answer. Um, And that's really typical for many of the children that we serve through foster care. So does trauma permanently affect the brain? Or like, or is there like, what's the hope for them to work to heal through that trauma? And yeah, great question. So the cool thing is, um, I'm no neuroscientist, but I do know enough to know that we are learning more about the brain every day that we literally can't keep up. Wow. So what we do know at this point, and we're always learning more, right, is that, um, the brain is plastic, which means it can change over time and that we can rewire it. So for a kiddo that's coming into my care through foster care, I'm going to understand that his brain is wired to survive. So trust, um, having good manners, um, being a good boy, like things like that are probably not their priority. That's they probably have not had the capacity for that to be important. Mm -hmm. That that's not what kept them alive or safe. Mm -hmm. So what I'm going to understand is that if I am the safe caregiver now responsible for this child for however long, I've got to understand that my role here is investment work. So it is not a quick turnaround. It is literally rewiring the brain through really intentional parenting through utilizing really good resources through maybe an adoption competent therapist, Mm -hmm. um, through trust based interactions with my child. Um, and that is going to take time and there's really no way to measure that. So when I serve families, like I'm not going to say, Hey, in six months you'll be good. Or by nine months you should be here because every child is so different every child's story is so different and the time it's going to take to rewire their brain, to build trust, to allow that amygdala, that alarm system of the brain to calm down long enough to begin building trust. That, that takes time. Mm -hmm. So the hope is that our brains are really amazing in many, many ways, but one is that it's plastic and it can change over time with really intentional environments and nurturing relationships. Um, and two, that kids have a lot of resilience. And what I mean by that is that when they have, they might have really bad things that have gone in on in their life, right? Because they're here, mm-hmm. because they're in a place called foster care. Mm-hmm. But what we also know, um, and there are some really cool studies out there too that reflect this. So not just in theory, like we literally have research that shows that even just one safe, positive, nurturing relationship can change everything. Hmm. Just one. Yeah, that's, you know, I wanted to talk about what you called, I guess you called foster care. It was a really amazing term. A light bulb went off in my head. Um, 
you called it investment work. Mm -hmm. I don't think that, I think that's such a better term. I don't think that that's used. I've never heard that used. Uh, It makes it just clearer what you're doing, right? Like you're not just like stepping in to be a safe home because Mm -hmm. as much as that's needed for sure. Right. It's, there's also a lot more needed and (laughs) it would be surprising if you walked in only thinking that your job was to provide a safe home. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, if that's all kids need, this would be, you know, real easy. (laughs) Um, But, but, um, you know, newsflash, um, our kids need more than that. Um, especially when we know there have been deficits, that there have been these additional harms and losses and really unfortunate situations that have impacted them. So yeah, having safe walls, (laughs) Uh, that's not going to cut it for our kids. It is investing. It's, you know, you're investing in their long-term ability to, um, to problem solve, to connect with others, to understand what safe relationships should and could feel like and how to experience that if they have not in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's investing in um, some behavior stuff that ultimately requires healing to be able to just pay attention to behavior and what's appropriate and what's not. Um, you know, investing in their ability to regulate their body, to identify what they're feeling, to, to ask for help and use the resources available to them long-term. So yeah, investments, it's, it's pretty evident in this this world. (laughs) Yes, yes, for sure. This week's episode is brought to you by Lola, our first sponsor. Lola is a feminine founded feminine care brand offering high quality period and sexual wellness products made with natural ingredients. Lola's tampons, pads, liners, and cleansing wipes are all made with hundred percent organic cotton, no toxins, dyes, or synthetic fibers. Lola believes in total ingredient transparency. Lola thinks women deserve to know exactly what they're putting in their bodies. So they list every ingredient on the box. Lola wants to make your period a little bit easier. I love the convenience of having my feminine care products just being shipped to my mailbox. With three kids, it's one less thing to have to worry about picking up from the store. Subscriptions are customizable, so you can choose your mix of products and absorbencies. I really love that Lola is made by women for women. I'm pretty sure there's no need for men to be weighing in on feminine care products. We've got that covered. Lola co-founders Jordana Keir and Alexandra Friedman were shocked to discover that the tampons they've been using for years were made with toxins, dyes, and synthetic fibers. They set out to reinvent the whole period experience. It's never been easier to try Lola. Get started with a trial set today. Six compact plastic applicator tampons paired with either two ultra thin liners or two cleansing wipes. When you purchase a trial set, you'll be auto-subscribed to full boxes of both products starting the following month. Lola will send you a reminder email before your subscription officially starts. So it's a risk-free way to try the products before making a monthly commitment. Get 30% off your $5 trial set today. Visit mylola.com and enter Illuminate to redeem your offer. So when you get kids that come into your office or, yeah, I guess it would probably be in that situation, families and kids that come with you, come into your office, where do you start? Yeah. You know, that's, that is something that looks different for 
every client and for every family. Ultimately, um, honestly, for me, same thing that I'm preaching is that it's a trust building thing. So to start with families or kids, if they're coming to me through a private practice or a counseling situation, um, and for those that I've served as the caseworker, um, I was also able to be a counselor at some of the agencies I worked at. And ultimately, my role is that I have to understand that child has to learn trust with me. So I don't get to come in there and give a bunch of to do's and I don't fix anything. I'm not capable of that. Mm -hmm. I also have to earn trust as the therapist or as the clinician. Mm -hmm. So that might look like nothing fancy in the beginning Mm -hmm. um, because we have to have this felt safety and this felt trust to be able to do some of that heart level stuff. Um, and the other thing I'm always mindful of when I'm working with families is that a child in foster care, they don't need more of me as, um, a really nice therapist. What they need is better, safe connections with their caregiver. Who's there every day. I'm not there every day. So if I am the only safe experience in their life, I probably haven't done my job very well because I really view my role as helping equip the parents and the family unit that has day-to-day connections with that child to be the best equipped as possible. So my hope is to work myself out of the job, right? That Mm. if I'm really equipping that family, those parents, that child to lean into the hard stuff and to really pay attention to felt safety and building trust and learning to connect before we just have rules or want to fix behavior, then they're going to, if, if I don't do that, they're coming to me forever. We're never going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also have to view my work as investment too, that I view my role as equipping you to be the best parent, the best healthy family unit you can be. So you won't need me anymore. Mm-hmm. So we have gone through <clears throat> the foster care classes and in those classes, they spoke about trauma informed care. And my husband and I, at the end of it, looked at each other and kind of thought, huh, this sounds like what, what we found the most success with, with our own children. And I know that a lot of, a lot of people that will be listening to this maybe aren't in a place of, Hey, I might be doing foster care. Right. But sure. Maybe they're around kids that are from hard places. Maybe though these ways of dealing with behaviors and, um, emotions in their own kids can be helped by trauma informed care, which maybe that sounds silly to you, but after listening to it, I thought, Oh yeah, I have two out of my three kids are very strong willed and Mm -hmm. I can't just like push my way through, you know, making them do something. I can't just ignore um, their outburst and they'll stop. Like mm-hmm. there has to be real work done for us to move forward. Sure. Yeah. Um, so the way I have framed it, um, is that, Hey, like I would argue this stuff is vital for the kids that we know have trauma, mm-hmm. but it's really beneficial for most of us actually. Mm-hmm. Because again, when, when I said in the beginning too, is like, we all have some kind of pain or loss or, something that has hurt along the way, whether you would call it trauma or not. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately 
my, what I've been speaking towards is this connection, right? This mm-hmm. trust-based connection. Um, and, and we're connecting with the child and the person first before we're just looking at behaviors or what we want fixed or correcting things. And so it's like, man, if you're going to look at the heart of the person, that's probably going to be really good <laughs> um, right. versus just like, adding more rules or more structure. It's that, that balance of this nurture piece and the structure piece that yes. it's not, you know, either or it's, it's right. both. Um, so, so that's what, that's kind of in, in more of the therapeutic parenting, um, tools versus you have to look through trauma lens everywhere. Um, you know, your child that came to your home, if you birthed that child and you know what their experiences were. So, you know, um, you know, what their experiences are, what to be mindful of and what wasn't a part of their story. But it's like, man, if you're just going to pay attention to tuning into the heart of that person and really building trust to then explore, you know, what needs to change, what needs to look different, maybe through some behavior stuff, um, that that's probably going to be pretty effective, right? (laughs) Because we're all hardwired to be seen and known. That's just how we, we came into this world. Mm Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Um, Yeah, so that's a big question. And something I'd add to that too, that maybe your child or maybe you, if this is applying to you as the adult, Mm -hmm. maybe you didn't have specific trauma. However, a few other risk factors to relational challenges to um, barriers of attachment include things before you even go home. So that could be a stressful pregnancy you know, what was it like for that child in utero, um, a difficult birth, were there any complications that that child would have felt, you know, um, and then third, were there any early hospitalizations? So those are three really early stressful situations that for many mm-hmm. of us, you, you might not call trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it would have impacted that that child because their body would have responded, their body would have remembered and had an experience to that stress. That's and sometimes that can impact, um, you know, parenting challenges down the road, or maybe mm-hmm. some sensory needs that seem a little more extreme or, um, some dysregulation challenges. Um, so that's something also be mindful of. And that, that doesn't just mean a child through foster care or through mm-hmm. some kind of adoption story mm-hmm. that might include many of us. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So you work with America's Kids Belong. I want to hear about them, their mission, and just tell me a little bit more about their impact. America's Kids Belong is a national nonprofit. So most of the team, we all work remote. And what we hope to do and what we do on a daily basis is ultimately come in at a leadership level, state by state. And essentially work to unify government, faith communities, and businesses all to come to the same table. So we try to unify those at the leadership level and say, hey, if you want to care for your kids, if you want to really bring change to your community, you all have to come together. So each entity in and of themselves might be doing really awesome things, but think about how more effective we could be and how more holistic we could be if we're all actually coming to the same table mm-hmm. and exploring what actually works and what the actual felt needs are in our community. So that's kind of the big picture, <clears throat> excuse me. 
And through that, we work through, you know, maybe the DHS office or, or an actual, a governor in different states. And we say, Hey, here's the church that these churches here, they're doing this. They're excited to come alongside you. And we help equip them to build that relationship, you know, through those different entities. And then same with businesses, realizing local businesses, they have a huge impact in their community. And for those who actually care about this, we try to just come alongside and equip them and help them explore what can you do? What do you have to offer? Do you have space? Do you have finances? Do you have, you know, can you give a discount for whatever product you're selling? Mm. What does it look like? So it's not necessarily that we have all the answers. We just come alongside and help equip and help explore how can you actually get involved here in a sustainable, holistic way that actually meets felt needs in your community. So what I love about it is, you know, we do have some like general national model strategies that work, but ultimately when we apply those at a state level, they have to be individualized to that state because mm-hmm. every state, every county has different policies, different regulations for child welfare, and we have to take that into account. So our goal is to equip all of those units to come together to help speak the same language and actually bring positive change for the kids who are in care. And we want permanence for them. So whatever that looks like, we try to do that part. That's a really, really needed mission, right? To have a place to have everyone come together and all feel like they have a voice Mm -hmm. and they're all feeling heard and they can all talk and then be able to serve as they um, are able. Definitely. Yeah. I I, think that's something too. Sorry. I'll just add that as a team, we've had to learn too, because not each of those entities understand the language of the other. Mm, (laughs) So, you know, government might not get church language and church doesn't get business or whatnot. And so what's cool about our team is that our team, we have, we have a team made of people that speak each language. So we've got people who've served as pastors for many years or served in the church for various, you know, capacities, or we have people who've served in government for many years and people who are social workers who have been boots on the ground, you know, working with DHS or your child welfare office. So because we understand the cross language, we, that again, that's how we come alongside and help others learn to connect with the other entities too. Mm -hmm. When those entities come to the table, I'm sure that there's different projects that come out of the conversations or the, yeah, the conversations that the three or two or whoever it is, uh, faith and government or government and businesses, they come together and they, um, form projects I'm guessing, or, um, solutions. What Mm -hmm. are some of the most exciting solutions that have come out of those, um, partnerships that you guys have been in, been enabling basically? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a loaded question, <laughs> but pick but a favorite. One, yeah, yeah, for sure. And ultimately it's, it's kind of more of a theme. Um, ultimately I think the things that I personally get super excited about is when, when even the small things, like we can't all do everything, but we can all do something. And so when those kind of light bulb moments happen for people, that makes me so excited because it's like, man, if AKB is the only one doing this, we're not going to get very far. But as we equip the person in your church or in your business or in your government or in your community 
to do something. And, and then that snowballs, like that's exciting to me because that's sustainable. Mm. Um, so one that comes to mind is just this, it's a local business. Um, and it's a small, it's a restaurant and they decided, Hey, you know, we want to do like a, a cookie drive and, you know, per X amount of cookies that we sell, we're going to give a percentage to, um, you know, to America's kids belong. Um, that's just one example. So we did it. It was great. It was this huge success. Ultimately, it, it was just fun and relational for us. Ultimately, we really value those relationships more than what they can do for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that meant a lot. But then the exciting thing was like, then they wanted to do more and we weren't asking. And then they're like, hey, we decided we'd really like to hire someone um, who has a history of foster care, who aged out of the system. And then they kind of had their heart shifted, right? So they couldn't save everyone, right? Like we're mm-hmm. not in the business of saving people. That's mm-hmm. not the point. But this was the thing that they could do that their heart was ready for. And they, and we just got to walk alongside them and equip them. Um, and so for that restaurant, like they know, Hey, um, supporting this young adult through their work in our restaurant is going to look a little bit different, you know? So I was able to just share some really general, like trauma informed lens, like just how to really care for this youth. And that might seem like a really small thing, but that feels really big to me because that's the one thing that they could do. And that counts. Mm -hmm. So I think just those really practical things that all of us can think through, like, well, what can I do? I'm one person. I can't do everything, but we don't need you to do everything. We need you to do one thing well and start there. And that counts. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's, that's one where it's, it's kind of out of the box. It's not you know, obviously when people think of America's kids belong, they probably think of foster families or foster parents. Mm-hmm. And this was a really cool out of the box way that we got to see that growth. We got to see that shift and mm-hmm. people start to get it mm-hmm. and just choose to use whatever they have to lean in. Yeah. They weren't, like you said, foster parents or people starting in that um, process, but they were where they were at and able to care and serve for Mm -hmm. someone who had been through the system. Exactly. So America's Kids Belong is involved with kids that are aging out of the foster care system as well. Definitely. Um, Okay. So what difficulties do those kids specifically face after they, um, that like maybe aren't obvious, like obviously they don't have the largest thing is they don't have a family, Mm-hmm. but what difficulties do you see them facing as they age out? Yeah, well, the list is many. Um, we, as a team, we've tried to hone in on like top 10, wow. um, for sake of time, I won't give you all 10, but ultimately, um, the list includes trauma and mental health, suicide risk, sex trafficking, addiction, dropout rates, poverty, homelessness, incarceration, Um, unplanned pregnancies. And ultimately a really big one is a higher likelihood of losing their own kids to foster care. Wow. So again, when you think through some of the things I've, we've already talked through being connection and trust and family and relationship without that, I mean, that's the core of all of these things, because when you don't have a safe place or you can't trust people, 
being tossed out into the world on your own by the time you're 18, or sometimes it's as late as 21 because sometimes they receive some extra benefits through the state, which again, none of that can replace a family. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how, how do you not fall into some of this? Mm-hmm. How, I mean, it's really not a surprise. And it, at the same time, it's so horrible. It's so, yeah. um, so yeah, like you said, I totally agree. Like the biggest thing is family. Um, for many youth who have aged out, um, it's, it's hard to find a home. It's hard to find a job. Um, I mean, thinking through adult things as if you're a high functioning adult or a pretty, you know, well functioning adult, things like insurance or applying for college or, uh, you know, interviewing for jobs or applying for jobs or co-signing an apartment. Uh, I mean, think of, how hard that is, even if you do have a very well-functioning family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know that any of us really do that well. Right. Um, and then to think for, for our kids, for our youth that age out, I mean, they've got stacks and stacks against them as far as learning to function and be okay in what the world requires, right? Mm-hmm. Through insurance or school or jobs or, or um, finding a home. And so... It's big. It's really, really big. And again, keeping in mind that there is resilience too. And a lot of them are really strong and have made it really, really far. But that doesn't mean we don't keep leaning into this. Um, There's just, there's too many, there's too many costs for them. Wow. You guys work on something called the Dream Makers Project with kids that have aged out of the system, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So the Dreammakers Project, it is just one program of um, America's kids as a whole. So that tends to be really confusing. Um, But Dreammakers is under the America's Kids Belong umbrella. And what we focus on there is ultimately just providing um, some material needs for those who have specifically aged out. So any age range between about 16 to 23 ish, okay. um, because some can emancipate as early as 15 or 16. So what we do in, and honestly, like we love it and it's awesome, but it's pretty small in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, again, knowing like we need more family, not necessarily stuff. And yet this is something that ultimately just helps people get involved and pay attention. And it's mm-hmm. kind of a starting place. Yes. So what we do is we have dreams and we want to fulfill dreams. And so we have caseworkers or youth themselves submit, you know, Hey, I need a laptop because I'm, I'm applying for school and I can't go through college without a laptop, but I can't afford it myself or whatever the story might be. So right. they send in a need, a dream. We list it on our website and we make it available for people to fulfill that dream. So you could just, decide to fulfill a laptop so that this adult who aged out can go to college or, um, you know, some have dreams like, um, you know, I want to go to school for photography, but I don't have a camera or, mm-hmm. um, it would be a dream of mine. We recently had a really cool story of a young woman who aged out, um, was actually adopted in her mid twenties, which is amazing. Yeah. And, um, we were able to help connect her to one of her Um, a photographer that she just loved and had looked up to and admired. And that was her fulfilled dream because, you know, now she's going to go into photography 
And she got to have this whole day with him in his studio where he was teaching her stuff. She got to have some professional self-portraits made. Um, And so ultimately, it's like these really beautiful, more material-oriented dreams that are fulfilled. Um, But our hope is that that it's through someone relational, right? So maybe, um, hey, this kid in my local community posted that he needs this. Well, I wonder if we could meet him and maybe we could care for him and we want to gift him this, um, you know, this laptop or whatever it is that he is dreaming for. And then maybe there's some more relationship that's built there because ultimately this is all relational. And mm-hmm. if we forget that piece, we've really missed the mark. So, so dream makers is really cool. Um, it's exciting to see those dreams come true and you can't deny that that allows that youth to feel valued and to mm-hmm. feel seen and that, that they matter. So it's, it's a small piece in the grand scheme of things, but we really, really love that we get to do that. That's great. I want to circle back to the, um, younger youth that are in foster care. Mm -hmm. And I was looking earlier at a program or a section of America's kids belong. That is the, I belong videos. And Mm -hmm. now these kids aren't like two-year-olds, they're older, they're all available to be, they're looking for families. Right. I mean, that is just so, I mean, I was just, honestly, I was just crying watching them um, Mm -hmm. because I think that it's really easy. I'm going to be honest. It's really easy to think, you know what, if they're 10 or 12 and they're available for adoption. What happened? I don't understand. Why mm-hmm. hasn't a family have it? Why hasn't a family like grab them? T- you know, mm-hmm. uh, can you explain how that happens? And you have these, these videos of these lovely children who just want a family and can literally verbalize that. It's right. not, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot, a wide variety of children, but these are children that can verbalize that they want a family. They can tell you what kind of family they want. How does it happen that a child is 12 and still has not, and is available to be adopted, not just right. is 12 in the system, but is 12 and available to be adopted and is just hanging out. Right. Yeah. So that is honestly, that's really a huge heart of what we do in America's Kids Belong is, is that is the, the capturing the stories of our kiddos who, who deserve more, yeah. um, who, who are in need of a permanent adoptive home. And so that is through the I Belong Project and how they got there, you know, obviously every child's story is different, but mm-hmm. typically, um, you know, many of the kiddos have come into care when they were much younger and maybe they've been in foster care for, I mean, upwards of 10 years. Um, and, and ultimately it's a matter of, I mean, cases can take, take such different terms, turns so quickly. And so obviously when a child comes into foster care, the goal is reunification. The goal is to um, bring health and restoration mm-hmm. back to the original family mm-hmm. and hopefully bring that child back into their family. Mm-hmm if it's healthy and safe and restored. And that doesn't mean perfect, right? but healthy and safe. Um, but for many children, that is not possible. Somewhere along the way, 
that became evident that it was not going to be possible. And so their case would have taken a turn of what what most um, states call, well, they terminate rights for the biological family. And then their terminology is they are legally free for adoption. And that means there is no already available or already identified family who is willing to adopt this child. So, you know, for many children, they there might be a relative, which is called kin, right? A kinship mm-hmm. care placement. Um, and for many families, maybe that is a good permanent option where an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent or a cousin is able to care for them. But for the kiddos that we work with through the I Belong Project, their caseworkers who have walked with them through deciding all of these things um, has come to us saying, you know, this child needs a permanent home and it's not going to be anyone they already know. And so they're just waiting. And we've got hundreds and hundreds of kids who are just waiting for a straight adoptive family. They don't need more fostering. They just need a permanent place to call home. Um, so that's a little bit about what that looks like for them. And yeah, we, you know, the videos, we can never capture all of who a child is in a video, mm-hmm. but but we do as much as we can in an appropriate way mm-hmm. to ask about them and to just get a little glimpse of who they are. Because the, when we don't know who they are and we don't have a face to it, we, we tend to fill in the blanks with a lot worse stuff, right? For sure. For and sure. when you see that child's face and you hear them saying, you know, their dreams of the future or what it means for them to belong, well that's a game changer. Mm-hmm. So I love and appreciate you sharing what that was like for you. Um, and, and when we hear terms like, you know, a foster kid, well, I, I prefer to say they are a child in foster care. They are mm-hmm. not a foster kid. Um, but we can fill in the blanks. And so we really hope that these videos, one sharing their stories, um, it tends to be the best way to find a family to say yes to that child. Um, and that's all we care about is we want, we want kiddos in homes, um, yeah. permanent homes. That's our goal. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's a huge step up from a lot of, I mean, it's like the government run websites where there's just like a picture of a child. And like you said, you just fill in the blanks, right? They don't mm-hmm. get a chance to express themselves, to see you don't get to see their fa- I mean, it sounds silly, but just see their face move, see them right. like they're a person. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they're a child that needs a family um, that needs a permanent spot. And um, I think it's really a great, great program. Um, I hope that, I hope you guys are getting a lot of children placed in families from that. I know it's a really hard placement, I'm sure. Um, yeah. but I Thank really you. hope it's successful. Definitely. It, it has been one of the most successful ways we know how to, um, to find families for these kiddos. It, it's hard to track the numbers because ultimately we are not the ones managing the case. Yeah. And so, um, we get many questions about that very often. We try to give the best answer we know to actually be true, but ultimately, you know, it does require a lot of relationship and communication with caseworkers who are, they're pretty busy. For sure. um, yeah. So we don't always get super great updates, understandably, but but we yeah. do try to to share that when we have that information. It's wonderful. Well, I think that we are going to skip to some of our end of the podcast questions. It's been really awesome to chat with you about 
your expertise and about um, America's Kids Belong. Yeah. Thank you for your time. It's been fun. So our podcast came out, came out of a supper club, actually. Um, all of us are in a supper club together and came up with our podcast idea. And so when we talk to our guests, we really just want to hear if they have a favorite recipe or mm-hmm. a favorite meal. Hmm. Well, I can tell you what we've been making the most currently. Sounds good. Um, and I think I came across it one day on Pinterest as probably most of us do, but it's basically what I think is the healthier version of fried rice where it's very simple. It's basically a lot of quinoa and then you just kind of do stir fry with whatever vegetables you like and you throw it all together and it's delicious and it's easy and it's pretty filling. So that is our, that's been our go-to lately. That's a good, good weeknight meal for sure. Yeah. And it's great leftovers. So, you know, bonus. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, is there someone or something that you would like to illuminate? Yeah, man, that's a big question. I, you know, in, in the same vein of the things I've been sharing, I, I do think what I would love to share is, is foster families. And here's why. Um, I think it is one, it's really hard for many reasons, but I think if you are doing this thing called foster care and you're doing all that you can to do it well, you are holding a really tough space of this balance of honoring the biological families and giving as much dignity and worth to who they are while also being a care, a caregiver and a lover of this child that might not get to go back. And that's a really tough place to hold. So Mm -hmm. I I just honor and respect foster families because I think it is tough to try to believe the best in bio families, but you're kind of this bridge of loving this child and hoping they get to go back unless things change. Mm. So that's a tough one, but also a beautiful one. Yeah. But that's what comes to mind. Yeah. So if you could send one message to the world, what would it be? Hmm. Something that has resonated quite a bit lately, and again, connected to a lot of our conversation, is actually more related to the bio family. And here's here's what I would want people to consider, is that when you think about the bio families, the, the families that had a child or children removed from their home, I try so hard to posture myself in remembering this, that it could have been me, that it could have been you, and that you are not exempt from the things that led to a really terrible situation of a child being removed. And so I think just considering that heart and that posture when thinking about bio families, um, I don't think we hear enough about that Mm. and it's tough, but yeah, just remembering that, you know, I'm not immune to those things. I'm not immune to something like addiction or poverty or uh, mental illness that led to it being unsafe for a child to be in my home. I'm not immune to those things. So yeah, I think that's what I would leave. Thank you, Lindy, for coming on the Illuminate podcast and shedding light on some of the challenges in foster care. And thank you for sharing about what AKB is doing to help those places. Your work within foster care is helping so many families walk through tricky and emotional places 
and come out healthier and stronger on the other side. You can find Lindy on Instagram at Lindy Green Johnson and also at America's Kids Belong. To learn more about the Dreammakers Project, you can also find them on Instagram at Dreammakers Project. You can learn more about all the projects through America's Kids Belong on their website. We hope you have a great week and we will be back next week on Christmas Day with another episode. Remember to subscribe so that even when you're busy with family over the holidays, our newest episodes will just be in your podcast feed already. Come find us on Instagram at The Illuminate Podcast and say hi. We love hearing from you. And if you're loving the podcast, always welcome your reviews on iTunes. See you all next week.